Hi, and welcome to Practical Reliability. I'm George Williams. And I'm Joe Anderson. Joe! Yes! Um, we're going to have to be mindful of what we say today because our guest today is from, like, the media. You know, Fake news. Yeah, we're always we're always listening. That's he, it. He will, yeah, and not only you know, it'll be slander and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> no, that is the total opposite. Our guest is just a fantastic guy who who really has both helped us and many other folks present to the industry their either knowledge, lack of knowledge, opinions, or facts. Um, and in a straightforward way and in a way that really services the industry, our guest is none other than Mr. Thomas Wilk. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. I can't wait to talk out the issues of the day with you. Uh, it's It was great. I think Joe and I met about five, six years ago now. And ever since then, I have learned just as much from you as, as anything you might have learned from me. So I'm looking forward and to you are. I'll today. tell you, Tom, you're the greatest liar that I've ever <laughs> met, man. But I, I do appreciate it. <laughs> but definitely, Tom, you, you're one of my favorite people, man. And I really do appreciate your willingness um, to help others. And, and I really do appreciate it. Um, so and it motivates me. Know, for those that don't know Thomas, he, he, he is, by the way, self-proclaimed award-winning chief editor of Plant Services Magazine, <laughs> which is published by Putnam Media. Um, it, you know, Tom joined them as editor in 2014 and previously helped them with building their mobile and, and content strategies um, at, at, is that Punduit? Okay. Uh, Panduit. Panduit. Thank you for correcting me because I'm dyslexic. Um, so Tom holds a BA from the University of Illinois and an MA from Ohio State, so he's not quite sure who to root for. He is an avid hiker and runner. By the way, keynote here, Joe and I don't run unless somebody's chasing us, and they've got to be really big. Mm -hmm. So welcome, Thomas. Thank you. Thanks again. And today's a, a special day uh, for me personally. You mentioned 2014 when I started at Plant Services. Mm -hmm. That was October 1st, 2014. So today, the day we're recording is seven years on the dot. Oh, so Happy anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. What a good way to celebrate, too, talking to two of my favorite people, too. Yeah, yeah. What time are you talking to them? Yeah, I know. <laughs> In about two hours, so we're good. <laughs> hey, so Tom, look, uh, we kind of want to hit this a little differently. You have a lot of access to a lot of information, you know, surveys, um, things that you do at Plant Services. Um, although, you know, you guys aren't necessarily always the author behind it, but you have access to it. You see it. You're always on the on the ground floor, and so you have a feel of things that are going on in the industry. And today I want to talk about um, some things like talent management and leadership and some gaps and some things that possibly um, could provide solutions to closing some of those gaps. Um, so I know that you guys do a leadership survey, and you just had a workforce survey come out, and I know that you're you know, your recent front page article is talking about um, talent in the maintenance and reliability space. Um, what, what are some of the gaps that are being identified from today's perspective when it comes to talent and aligning that talent uh, with the right organization? 
Yeah, Joe, these are issues which it's funny. When I started here at Plant Services, uh, one of the goals that my team and I had was to do more research in this area. Um, we had a, a survey on predictive maintenance technologies and, and applications and use cases, but we didn't have one that focused on what the people behind the technologies, the, the people on the teams were actually thinking about their jobs. Yeah, our readers, we've been very lucky. Our readers are very willing to share their experiences, their thoughts <clears throat> on these issues. You know, I'd say two things stand out in general from all the research we've done in this area on workforce and leadership. The first is that people feel the hiring problem, the, 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 the new talent acquisition problem, they're feeling it very acutely. Um, I think for a couple of years, hiring teams were looking for unicorns to fill open positions on teams and the past, especially year and a half, two years, we've noticed uh, a much stronger willingness to partner outside the company to fill those talent gaps. Um, and we can talk about this a little bit uh, later too, but from what I just heard from other people now, the, the, the these third-party service organizations are also having trouble finding people. So you're talking about, things like uh, headhunters and those types of things um, yeah. from a third party? It could be headhunters. It, it could be OEMs who bring on okay, skilled technicians on. Yeah. Okay. To, to maintain their own machines. But also, yeah, uh, service organizations like um, like like an Allied or an ATS who yeah. who would market those services, or like yourselves. Right. Um, but yeah, we're nice. we're hearing the talent shortage is hitting those organizations too. OEMs can't find the people to to enough people to go out there and service their machines. Well, it's, yeah. it's the same problem, right? It's just been pushed off to a third party and that the third party now has to try to find the unicorns. We've moved from unicorns to can you fog a spoon? I mean, that's, that's yeah, what well, it's, the problem is right. Is the first thing that goes in an organization is their, their training department when they cut costs. Mm -hmm. And so instead of developing that talent within they're trying to go outside and find that talent. So you either rob it from another company that leaves a gap within that company. Yeah. Right. Or you just hire somebody that can breathe on a spoon and hope for the best. Uh, there's not like an in-between. So I think skills gaps um, are a huge issue. Um, yeah. And retaining those people once they're on board is a challenge too. Um, the, the, the second thing we've been seeing consistently is the issue of training you brought up, specifically when it comes to leaders, that a lot of people get moved into first level leadership positions, whether that's called a supervisor or a director or a team lead. Um, oftentimes, there's not the training and support behind what it means to change from being a frontline <laughs> worker to a team leader. And, you know, the three of us have talked about this a, a lot in the past. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, if you can't grow with your team, if you can't grow in your vocabulary to to have conversations beyond just the work itself, you know, that that's part of what leadership involves is the ability to 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 negotiate between different uh, teams in the plant. Um, right. So we're we're seeing that lack, too, that that and, and uh, Tom Moriarty's leadership survey. Uh, which he just finished rerunning this year. He updated it from the first uh, 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 survey six years ago. He found six years ago that motivation could be correlated to a lack of training, that uh, the people who were the least motivated were the ones who had the least idea what they might be doing in new leadership positions. But that, but that's in everything, right? I mean, the way that you truly develop a passion to do something is you become good at it. And the way that you become good at it is investing in the training, investing in yourself, 
mm-hmm. um, and those types of things. So of course you're going to lack motivation if you don't have the knowledge. Um, and so it's just kind of crazy to me that we're in the information age. We're at your fingertips. Everything known to man for the most part is, is on the internet and you can learn just about anything. And yet, we're i guess i guess the way i say it is we're caught up in the consumer mentality mm-hmm. right where we're more focused on celebrities and sports and gossip and all this other stuff and we can quiz people over that and they know every single celebrity they know every single person on a sports team but when it comes to actual skill sets um they don't spend a whole lot of time focusing on on self-improvement and yeah, I, I remember we did a, we did a survey specifically on electrical safety. We've done that survey twice, uh, once in 2020 and the once in 2018. And I was alarmed at how few people felt they were adequ- adequately trained just in electrical safety. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we I, 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 with the basic question, have you received training on NFPA 70E, which is, you know, the, 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 the standard safety uh, training? Thirty five percent people said no. Right. That's basic entry level safety training. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the bare minimum that you should have. Yeah. And for those who have been trained, now this is the 2020 survey, um, 15% yet said, yes, we had received training up to 70E 2015. Mm. And 38% said they had received training up to 70E 2018. And again, this is the 2020 survey. So I, I wrote a, I, I tried to be alarmist in my editor's notes. It's a chance for me to, to weigh in on these kind of issues. But for that issue, I, I remember saying, Joe echoed what you were saying, which is please, if you're not getting trained, training support through your organization, we do live in the digital age. There are online tools. Please go check them out. If you feel, if you're not feeling you're getting trained because better to go home safe uh, than to not be trained. And a lot of that falls on the responsibility of the organization as well. Um, you're required to provide that training, but most of mm-hmm. the, there, there's a lot of, a lot of companies, smaller companies, especially that are really unaware of what they need to be doing and, and those types of things. So you have that gap as well. Um, you know, right. so it, I don't know, man, it's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's, t- maybe I can talk about a little bit of good news too. It, we just published the workforce survey for 2021. Um, and we asked questions about, does your company invest in training and certifications, that sort of support? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 70% of the respondents in this survey said that um, the company did offer in-house training and development to help employees advance in their career. Um, when it came to certifications themselves, we were happy to see that more than half of companies were supporting their employees. Now, it wasn't by much. There was about, you know, 47, 53% where 47% that were not being supported. So it is a case of the haves and the have nots. Yeah. Um, but for those who are getting trained, you know, it, it, it was it, it was good to see that about 20% of companies are supporting things like the CMRP certification. Uh, the other high one was 35% are supporting Lean Six Sigma certifications. So you do have a recognition among uh, top class companies or, 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 or otherwise uh, that that this, this sort of training is valuable and that uh, it's good to see that the workers and employees are taking advantage of it too. Well, I think that kind of lends to them coming to a little bit of a realization too, in order to keep workers, 
you're going to have to provide these things, um, mm-hmm. which is good. I mean, it's, it's definitely good. It should be there anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but in order to retain, uh, that's part of the motivation that keeps someone there. If you're willing to invest in me, um, I'm more willing to stay than, than leave. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you have a lot of people that want to be invested in and they want the training. Um, but there's no one willing to pay for it within their organization. And that leads people to start questioning whether they're in the right place or not. And, and, and it causes you to start looking at other opportunities. <laughs> I'd, I'd agree. Yeah. It, we're in a really unique historical moment, at least in our lifetimes, I think, with the pandemic where we ran the same workforce survey two years ago and an equal number of people said that these training and development opportunities were as important to them as a good salary was. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward two years now, we're on the other end of the pandemic and clear wages and benefits were the clearly the highest motivators for this crop of respondents to the survey. Um, training didn't fade into the background, but it wasn't equally weighted in their thoughts. Uh, right. So at, at the moment, you know, you, we see from the survey that people are taking the opportunities that are offered to them to get trained. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes me think that they're sort of lying in wait, uh, educating themselves as much as they can to wait for the job market. Uh, to, well, they're building their resume and their credentials so that they can move on to get a higher salary. Right? Correct. Yeah. So and, so at, at the moment, yeah, wages and benefits seems to be the, the primary driver. Um, right. Especially given the economy today with inflation and things like that going on. I mean, that's going to be a major driver. Um, where a few years ago we weren't too concerned about it. And so it was other things that were driving our motivations, you know? Yeah. And so, well, that's crazy. And then seeing that, you know, like you said, somebody gets promoted to say a supervisor and they get no training on how to lead people. And then uh, that leads it leads to a lot of problems, right? It's, it's a lot of times the way that we've seen it happen in organizations, at least from my perspective that I've been in, and I've also been one of these people, is the best mechanic, right? The so-called best mechanic is the guy that you end up uh, promoting um, because you think he's the best at what he does, so he'll be the best fit for the job because... Um, for example, if the culture's reactive, whoever the superhero is, is considered the best mechanic. So we'll just promote him and he'll continue to keep the plant running. Um, but right. now we've got him under salary. And I've actually lived that um, <laughs> when I was at National <laughs> Beef. I was one of the best ground beef mechanics that they had. And then they promoted me to supervisor. And at the time, I had some management experience, but it was in the restaurant industry. Mm. Um, but I went from, you know, managing restaurants and owning a restaurant to, uh, going back to being a mechanic and working my way up through there. But I was provided no training on how to lead people. And then four months later, I was promoted to maintenance superintendent, which would be the equivalent of a maintenance manager. Okay. And, and so I've also myself been one of these people that were pretty much promoted beyond their level of of uh knowledge you know and uh, for me i'm self-motivated so i figured it out and and tried to become the best manager that i could 
mm-hmm. um, leading people. But for a lot of people, you know, they're not all self-motivated like me. And so um, that starts to create gaps. And then I think the biggest gap I see, now tell me if you're wrong on this, but mm-hmm. I think that upper level managers seem to have a more optimistic view of their teams and everything that's going on. And at the shop floor, it's a inverse of, of that. Um, they're not as optimistic because they're living that life every day. And I think there's a big disconnect between, you know, the three or four tiers of management, Mm -hmm. um, down to the shop floor, you know, up, people that sit up at the top think, yeah, everything's great. It's hunky dory. Mm -hmm. And these other people are, you know, they're they're actually living the life and it's, (laughs) you know, it seems that their, um, view is a little, a lot more pessimistic. Um, they're still optimistic, but it's more pessimistic than those top senior managers. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something we're hearing too. Um, and and I thought of a couple of different things when you mentioned this, Joe, first is that, the first presentation that I got to see you deliver was one that sticks in my memory because you impressed on all of us how important it was for people moving to management roles to be able to speak the different vocabularies, both mm-hmm. of the C-suite, of, of mid-manager levels, and also of the team levels. So mm-hmm. that's one of the hardest skills, I think, for people to learn or to become aware of is to find out, are they growing with their teams? Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of morale, we see a disconnect in this workforce survey. One of the obstacles that people cite most often when it comes to getting their job done or feeling good about their job is communication between yeah. the frontline workers and the, and the executives. Um, yeah. So we didn't ask them uh, what their what their specific attitude was, but I, I see that mapping onto what you're saying real neatly, where you do have a very different perception based on where, where you're working and what you're working on. Um, well, the, the way it works, right, from my experience, this is how it works. So a maintenance guy comes to the maintenance manager, <clears throat> tells him, look, man, things aren't going well. There's going to be a lot of problems. The maintenance manager goes to the plant manager. But when he's talking to the plant manager, because he um, doesn't want himself to look bad, he spins things in a positive light, right? And then the plant manager tells his boss in an even more positive light, and then when it gets up, by the time it gets to the top, it's all unicorns and rainbows and confetti. And that wasn't what was communicated at the shop floor. And a lot of it's because you're afraid to lose your job or you don't want to look bad or you don't, you know. And instead of being realistic in the fact that, look, we have some gaps and we, I really need some support to help close these gaps. Um, it's more... Well, you know, we have this issue, but look at all these other great things that we're doing, you know? Yeah. And I don't know that it's from my experience, that seems to be the case because by the time it gets to the top, they have a completely different message that's coming up to them. I don't, I don't blame them um, for being as optimistic as I do blame the middle levels for not being a forthright and really honest with what's going on. But at the same time, I do blame them because they're not going out to the floor and talking to people to really get a feel of things. Um, no, I, I hear you. They, I, I agree. They're one of the uh, someone who's writing for us occasionally. His name is Steve Tuttle, and he wrote a couple of day in the life type articles mm-hmm. that were published primarily last year and in 2019. Uh, I think he had one earlier this year, 2021. 
Mm -hmm. Um, but it was definitely a day in the life of a planner, scheduler, procurer, millwright. Um, and the tone communicated that certain desperation that you feel when you've got to fix something and get the machine up and running again, but you can't find the part or the parts halfway across the yard and the yard's full of other parts and you can't find the part you need because there's other parts scattered around everywhere. And then how in the heck do you communicate that up to your manager? Why, why did a job take three hours? It should have taken two hours or why did it take eight instead of five? Um, how do you tell them without projecting that desperation? Because nobody wants to, nobody wants to, to appear that way. Right. You want to be, you want to be a professional. You want to get the job done calmly. Um, but like you said, I, I, I think there's a huge difference there where the, the, the daily tasks can drive a lot of, a, a, a lot of negative feeling because uh, some things may not be in the proper place. You're, you you might not have the right procedure for the task, or it might be misplaced. Uh, and sadly, that's not the kind of level of detail that top managers or even mid managers worry about. Maybe they should more often. Um, right. I, I think would, some I, of it too stems from a misalignment from organizational objectives. Hmm. And what I mean by that is the maintenance manager especially in a reactive environment, all you're worried about is making sure the plant stays running. Mm -hmm. Right. And not doing anything from a proactive perspective to eliminate all these issues. You're just trying to keep your head above water in the firefight. And, you know, your organizational objective is reduce cost to produce by three cents a unit or whatever or reducing cost. And as a maintenance manager, you're blowing your budget because everything's falling apart and you can't keep your head above water. Um, which, you know, in turn leads to more terrible practices. It's like this vicious cycle. Yeah. Um, that you get in and it's, it sucks. And if you don't know how to get out of it, um, which is, I think probably one of the largest gaps, Mm -hmm. It's understanding how to transition from a reactive to a proactive state. Mm -hmm. um, then a lot of people just end up quitting yeah. you know, or they get fired because they're the scapegoat for all the plants problems. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, it's just nuts. Yeah. There, there was a good presentation given this year um, by a guy from, uh, he was a former VP at Disney. His name is Dan Cockerell. And he was VP of the theme parks. And he told, he told a story back when he was managing Epcot Center of when the GM exhibit, the test track, kind of a roller coaster type ride, would mm -hmm. often go down. And uh, one, one day it went down and he got a call from one of his bosses. And his boss says, so what's going on with the test track? And Dan starts giving him the engineering answer, which says, well, the brushes aren't touching this. And so the electric charge isn't doing that. Um, and there's metal filings that are getting in the way and, and disrupting the charge. And his boss interrupted him and said, Dan, is the ride going to go around and around in a circle today or not? Right. Um, and so it, it, it was a little embarrassing, but Dan goes back then and thinks through what does, how can I translate what I'm experiencing into a, a short answer, which will be embraced by the C-suite. And he had to think about what he really wanted. Right. Um, they need to figure out how to justify that request. What they really needed was sort of a maintenance uh, workshop area that was eliminated from the budget initially. Um, but because it was about, I think the number was $10 million. And mm -hmm. so it initially it was trimmed from the budget as, as a nice to have, but not a need to have. 
um, he was able to show based on customer disappointment over not being able to ride the ride that they were losing $15 million a year in customer goodwill and potential customer sales. Right. Cost um, justification is the key to sell selling anything. Mm. Right. And so he said, is it worth it to you to invest 10 million to uh, recover 15 million a year? The ROI is going to be paid back in less than a year. Um, and the ride will be up a lot more often. And we have this proactive maintenance shop, which is always on helping, helping, helping the, the ride run better. Right. Um, so he, he had to train himself in that skill though. He, he said up front that without talking to a wide variety of people and building a new team on how to address this issue of the ride, not going round and round, he didn't have the language <clears throat> to communicate back up, uh, until about a month or two later. And it, it took a lot of work. That's the challenge, which. I think is facing a lot of maintenance leaders, especially yeah. Joe, because who's got time to develop that kind of skill unless you really need to, it's easier to leave or find a different well, job. If, if, if you don't know you need the skill, how do you even know it exists? Mm -hmm. Right. Especially if I was promoted from a maintenance mechanic to a supervisor, to a maintenance manager in under seven months. Mm -hmm. And you know what I mean? Your organization has a development plan and supports training. Who's got that line item? Like who's right. going, you know, folks two tiers down from me, me need to be able to express based on my goals and my language and ROI, right? Like who's, who's got that development plan. Right. Right. And meanwhile, while everyone's working that out, you've got, um, a lot of leaders who, uh, there's no other word for it. They're suffering, right? Because their, their morale is decreasing because they're not quite sure what to do. They're, they're nervous that if they make the wrong move they're going to get let go or bump back down. And Joe, like you said, that that manifests itself in being overly positive mm -hmm. when it comes to communicating up. And, and then you get into get into trouble there because the disconnect just grows. Right. Well, it's it's CYA all the time, right? You're covering mm -hmm. your own behind because you're, you know, <laughs> you're trying to yes. save a job instead of of uh, change the culture. Right. So listen, man, I, I got one more question. Um, time's running short we need to run, but sure. It's always said, right. That people leave bosses and not companies. And so, you know, in, in this day and age, given the fact that if you go in the self-help aisle in a Barnes and Noble, or you look online under leadership books, there's 22 trillion of them. Mm-hmm. And all this knowledge is there for them to access. Why do you, what do you think some of the root causes uh, of that? You know, it's, it, it would be basically terrible leadership, right? I mean, mm -hmm. what do you think some of those root causes are? It's a great question. I think in my experience, and this is just mostly my experience in organizations, just like anybody else's, um, there's a lot of people who have risen in management and when they get challenged on the way they do things, the response I often hear is, well, it's worked for me so far, so I'm not going to change. Right. Uh, it, it's a confidence. You, you alluded to that about a minute ago, Joe, when I talked about people who don't even know that there might be an issue here. Um, you know, and these are not ignorant people. These are, these are skilled professionals. Uh, the challenge is to uh, figure out a way to communicate that, you know, just because it worked for you at some point doesn't mean a, it's the right thing always, or B that you don't need to continue to change your approach. Yeah. And, I mean, continuous improvement loop is highly important, important there. Right. 
you know, and that's the, you can, you can make the analogy to digital technologies coming into maintenance and reliability at some point, uh, you know, in, in not too distant past, it was tough to get your hands on an ultrasound gun. Um, right. Uh, or, 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 a, or a, you know, vi- a wireless vibration sensor. And now the, as those move into industry, people get used to working with them little by little, and uh, they, they can't remember what it was like not to have those things. Right. It, it's tough to recognize that moment when you say from a leadership perspective, oh, I, I'm missing something because I think a lot of folks feel it's so character based that if they admit that they're not doing doing as good as they could, that's a character flaw. Um, and I like to think like like you and George think, I think, too, which is, you know, the best leaders stay humble and recognize that there's always something to learn and they right. got to they got to move with their teams. Yeah. Well, that's definitely where I've always said, I mean, I, I would get to the point where I would bring in other people to assess my conditions because I didn't want to be narrow sighted. Mm-hmm. Even if I thought I was the greatest maintenance department in the world, I would still bring people in to do assessments to see what is it that I'm missing mm-hmm. so that I could improve, you know, and and you can't be afraid to admit that you're wrong or that things need to change. Um, but I think that's what separates the great leaders from everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm refl- as I raise my own kids, they're, they're 10 and they're eight. Uh, you know, one of the hardest things is to live out the message that you don't really want to punish people for a mistake. Uh, because if you punish them, you're guaranteed they're going to hide it the next time. Right. You know, we, well, we've I think seen... your kids are probably raising you to be a dad is, is more likely. That's about, that's about how it worked. Yeah, you got that right. You know, and, <laughs> and, and so it, it, on the job, it's, 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 it's sunlight. Sunlight is the best disinfectant, right? And, yep. and it, it's, it is always a challenge, though, to find vocabulary that communicates directly, uh, but also, uh, you know, preserve, not, not preserves egos, but, but, but make sure that, uh, you're not taking too much of the blame on yourself. You're not trying to assign blame. It's that, that communication is a, a learn, and I think it's a learned skill, Joe, you said, you, you know, pe- people have to go out and be conscious on, on, on how to, how to be word surgeons more or less. Um, and, and how mm-hmm. to, and I finesse those discussion that if there's one thing that I would point cite as, as, as the biggest obstacle to people becoming leaders, it's, it's not even, staying too humble it's, it's just just reading and reading and reading and, and gathering the vocabulary to to yeah, say what you gotta say savvy. yeah it's called political I think that's, a good, that's a really good point thomas uh, i can i can absolutely attest to being the person that got sat down every like six months and told work on your soft skills hmm. and you know it's other people's decision whether or not i was a good leader or not but i i was a successful person in that role and, and I like to think that that language and being able to articulate played a big role in that. And those skills did not exist when I, when I was a maintenance technician. <laughs> so, hey, Thomas, uh, we got conference season coming up. Um, anywhere you're going to be, any plugs? Uh, where can people reach out to you? Well, they can always reach out to me at my email address. It's twilk at putman.net. That's P-U-T-M-A-N dot N-E-T. Um, I've got my email plastered all over the website, too, plantservices.com. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing people in person again. And our show list this year, it, it was nothing for a while. And then all of a sudden, I got three shows in three weeks. So for anybody who's going to be at SMRP in St. Louis, 
I look forward to seeing you there and shaking your hand and, and, and toasting, toasting to, to the profession again. Um, I'm going to be at a, 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 a smaller event down in Birmingham the week after at SEPCO. And then I'll, if you're heading down to the automation fair, uh, Rockwell Automation Fair in November in Houston, that's the last show of the year for us. So unfortunately, I'll, I'll miss out on a reliable plant this year and I'll miss out on IMC. Um, but uh, by all means, don't let that stop you guys from going. Uh, all, all these shows are terrific opportunities to network and get to know people. And, uh, and uh, will I be seeing you guys at one of those shows? For sure. We'll be at uh, Reliable Plant. We'll be at SMRP and we'll be at IMC. So we'll Excellent. Catch you at SMRP. All right. We'll have to go to the top First of the arch and on raise, raise okay. a shot at the top of the arch. Right. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, hey, Tom, uh, I appreciate, you know, you coming on and sharing some of this knowledge with you. We'll have to get together and do this more often for sure. Oh, um, uh, count me in, man. Put me in, coach. I'd love to talk with you guys. So thanks awesome. for the opportunity today. Yeah, you too. Awesome. Thank you so much. So for Joe Anderson, I'm George Williams. Go make tomorrow better than today. <laughs>